time for overtime. Stop what you're doing and listen. In the world of sports, it's all about the playmakers in today's headlines. From locals to the pros. With interviews from local standouts and sports all-stars across the country that will have you talking. Out of the pack, all the way in. Slam! from coaches to players, sports analysts, and broadcasters who are a part of the action every day. Overtime, now with Burt Ramin on ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO, Sioux Falls Sports Leader. Off and running with hour number two here on your Monday. Hope everybody had a great weekend. We have a beautiful day. It feels like a June Early June, late May day here in the 605, and it's not even March yet. We'll absolutely take it. Beautiful weekend, beautiful day to kick off the work week. Appreciate you spending some time with us as always here on ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO. Still to come on today's show, we'll talk Green Bay Packers and Kansas City Chiefs. They're impending free agents, the priorities for both teams and everything in between. Also uh, let you know and let you in on the NSIC brackets. It looks like we'll be seeing a lot of Augustana, a lot of USF in the first round of the NSIC tournaments. We'll let you know exactly when and where those games will be played and who has earned the bye into the NSIC tournament that'll be held coming up over the weekend. Can't wait for this to get started at the Sanford Pentagon. We'll be talking South Dakota State basketball with play-by-play broadcaster Tyler Merriam here around 1230. And we'll finish up the show with a very beefy and meaty edition of the good, the bad, the ugly. There is a lot to get to, a lot of good news. A lot of bad and a lot of ugly, including that court-storming debate that is fired up yet again following a weekend that sees another bad mark on the court-stormers across the country, whether it be for Duke and Wake Forest or a few weeks ago, a few months ago, we saw Iowa and Ohio State go back and forth. We will talk about it all with the good, the bad, the ugly coming up at the end of the show. First things first, we'll dive into your scorecard here as we open up this noon hour on the Monday edition of Overtime, Detroit and Chicago facing off in the Windy City yesterday. Special day for the Blackhawks and their fans. They retired the jersey of legend Chris Chelios. And they welcome back both Alex DeBrinkett and Patrick Kane. And that might have been a mistake. In over the Red Wing line. Drops it back to Jones out in front. Moves in. Shoots. Save made. Rebound chance. And now the Wings have a break. Here is Patrick Kane. Owen Drama brings it in on a breakaway. Shoots, he scores! Oh, what a win for the Red Wings! Can't write it up any better than that. Patrick Kane in his first return to Chicago since departing and becoming a member of the Detroit Red Wings. Audio courtesy there, WXYT. And Chicago with the loss, 3-2 in overtime, falls to 15-39-5. and Elsewhere, Rangers lost to Columbus yesterday 4-2 on the road. Arizona lost in Winnipeg to the Jets 4-3 in overtime. And Nashville gets a 4-2 win in Anaheim. Predators are 32-25-2 on the season. Tonight in the NHL, Senators at Capitals 6 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus, Islanders at Stars 7 o'clock puck drop on the NHL Network. Other matchups going on tonight. Kings at Oilers 8-30. Bruins at Kraken at 9 o'clock. Both of those contests can be streamed on ESPN+. Plus. College hockey over the weekend. Augustana played host to Alaska Anchorage Friday and Saturday. Lost to the Seawolves in overtime Friday night 6-5. to And came back with a vengeance for a Saturday night shutout win. 
three to nothing the final. Next up, it's Fairbanks. Alaska Fairbanks comes to town Friday at seven, Saturday at six for tickets and more information. Go Augie.com slash hockey tickets. NBA Finals, Milwaukee over Philadelphia, 119-98. Lakers lost in Phoenix last night to the Suns, 123 to 113. And OKC. Back atop the Western Conference with a dominant win over Houston, 123-110. to Shea gives left corner home, good open, strokes a three that's online, and in there, cha-ching at Thunder Moneywell, is he clutch? Is he clutch? First rookie ever, 100-plus threes made in his rookie campaign, along with 100-plus blocks, history tonight at Houston. Chet Holmgren, 29 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists. Audio there courtesy of WWLS. And the Denver Nuggets find a way to win over Golden State, 119-103. Jokic, another triple-double, 32 points, 16 rebounds, and 16 assists in the win. Denver just outside of the leaders in the Western Conference with a record of 39-19. and Last score of note from yesterday's uh, a competition in the NBA. Sacramento won in L.A. over the Clippers, 123-107. to Clippers with the loss slumping just a bit 37 and 19 their current record western conference standings minnesota timberwolves fans will enjoy the fact that they still at least have a share of the top spot in the western conference they went one and one over the weekend with a loss to milwaukee and a win over brooklyn minnesota is 40 and 17 the issue oklahoma city keeps on coming they're also 40 and 17 right now both those teams are one and a half games better than denver two and a half games up on the clippers and a full six and a half games up on the kings suns and pelicans in the western conference your eight through ten spot dallas the lakers and the warriors and the teams on the outside looking into the playoffs right now if the season ended today it's utah houston memphis portland and san antonio for your latest standings in the western conference tonight in the nba we got just four games to tell you about. Raptors at Pacers, 6 o'clock on NBA TV. Pistons at Knicks at 6.30. Nets at Grizzlies at 7 o'clock. And the Heat visit the Kings, 9 o'clock jump time on NBA TV. Now for men's basketball over the weekend, third-rated Purdue. Another challenge on the road in Ann Arbor against the Michigan Wolverines yesterday. No problem for Zach Eady and the Boilers. Brady Smith, a three from the right wing. It's short, rebounded. Eady, Zach Eady always dynamite and Purdue wins their 25th game of the year. They're 25 and 3 and the Boilers are 84-76 winners in Michigan yesterday. Elsewhere Marquette over Xavier 88-64 and St. John's after a drama-filled week plus with Patino as the head coach finds a way to win over Creighton winning on their home floor upset fashion final score 80 to 66. St. John's Johnny's Day here at Madison Square Garden. The clock runs down. St. John's has been looking for that signature win. They get it this afternoon on a whiteout. St. John's defeats Creighton 80 to 66. That's John Minko of Learfield on the call. 80 to 66, the final. Creighton's new record 20 and 8 on the season. Elsewhere, Nebraska fans happy yesterday. 73-55 winners over visiting Minnesota. Huskers are 20 and 8, 10 and 7 within the Big Ten. And back to Saturday. USD gets by Oral Roberts 77-76. The Yotes are now 11 and 18. 4-10 within conference play, and SDSU takes care of business, and they've got a share 
of the lead in the Summit League right now following a 77-72 win over St. Thomas. Zeke Mayo, 23 points. And the Jacks are 17-12, and 10-4 within conference play. And tonight in men's basketball, Miami visits 10th rated UNC, 6 o'clock on ESPN. 11th ranked Baylor at TCU, 8 o'clock jump time also on ESPN. Women's basketball finals, LSU over Tennessee 75-60. to Iowa, 101-85 to winners over Illinois. K-State loses to Kansas 58-55. And South Carolina stays perfect on the season 27-0 for the Gamecocks. 103-55 winners over Kentucky and Lexington. Back to Saturday, South Dakota State won in the Twin Cities over St. Thomas 97-63. And USD lost to Oral Roberts down in Tulsa 77-63. The final New records for both of our area teams, South Dakota State 22 and 5, 14 and 0 in the Summit League and USD 19 and 10, 8 and 6 within conference play. Tonight in women's basketball, top 12 matchup between 11th ranked Colorado out at uh, Berkeley against, not Berkeley rather, uh, in LA against UCLA, 12th ranked Bruins, 8 o'clock on ESPN2, the start time there. Before we go any further and dive into your Bank headlines of the day, let's talk about this court storming debate. I am fully on board with what Greeny had to say today in regards to this big rant, this big debate that is the future of court storming in collegiate basketball. Let's address the stupidest among us, the people who are on social media after Caitlin Clark got knocked down or after Kyle Filipowski gets knocked down, blaming them, suggesting that they're flopping or something like that. These are people who belong where they are, who are being run into or whatever the case may be by people who absolutely do not belong where they are. Like this moment, for example, people suggesting, oh, Caitlin Clark was faking that to make it look worse than it were. Shut up. That is and if you're pointing at that Kyle Filipowski looks like he was being aggressive, you know what? If I'm where I'm supposed to be, and you could, well, I'm a bad example of this. If you're <laughs> where you're supposed to be, and someone has come running at you, and you have no idea what their intentions are, you're going to do exactly what he did also. So if you are one of these absolute morons on social media who are suggesting this was Kyle Filipowski's fault or instigating whatever it is that happened with this kid who went running out onto the court after him, just be aware that you are an idiot and everyone around you knows you are an idiot. I certainly respect what Greeny says there about the aforementioned folks that think that somehow Filipowski or Caitlin Clark flopped or they purposely got in the way of these people. Shut up. You're wrong. Not only did they not purposely get in the way of these people, but to Greeny's point there, what would you do in a situation where you were on the road and your team got upset? You're already ticked off about the game. You're ticked off about the environment. You're ticked off about the way things went down. Regardless of what happened, how would you react? If you had your court getting stormed by hundreds and hundreds and sometimes thousands and thousands of people and they're running at you, they're saying stuff to you, they're throwing an elbow, they're punching you in the gut, and that might be excessive, that might be me elaborating a too far on this, but I'm going to say this again and again and again and again because I said this after Caitlin Clark and the incident with Ohio State in Columbus earlier this year, we could have 10 additional court stormings in a row following today that go off without a hitch as currently prescribed. You can storm the court as soon as the horn goes off and sometimes even before the horn goes off if you upset a team, regardless of credential, whatever else. We could have 10 in a row go without a hitch. And it's still really darn dangerous and dumb the way we're currently doing it. What I have to say here might be an old man get off my lawn, but hear me out. 
I'm not for abolishing court storming in its entirety. I've been an opponent in the past of certain teams, i.e. the Blue Bloods of college basketball, when they're having a down year and they happen to earn an upset over a rival or earn an upset over a ranked team, know who you are, don't storm the court. I realize that's an old man take, but my take on court storming in general, I think is just common sense. And that is this. Everywhere you go, competitors blood boils, right? I'm a competitive guy. I'm not a great athlete by any means, but whether it be board games, whether it be cornhole out in the backyard, whether it be pickup basketball, I get pissed off when I lose. And that's in all caps, pissed off. Absolutely competitive. And that's something that I love is to compete with others, whether it be board games, whether it be kick the can, whatever you want to do. I'm a competitive dude. So I certainly understand the athlete's mentality. You're on the road. You're already ticked because you're not playing well. You're going to lose to what you view as an inferior opponent, and then you're going to have 10 to 15 to 20 to 30 to 50 to 1,000 people storm the court, come and get in your face, celebrate with their selfie in front of them, running on the court, not looking where they're going, elbowing you, punching you, calling you names, whatever. That makes no sense to me. I don't think it makes sense for, for high school basketball. I don't think it makes sense for college basketball, pro basketball, or anything. What does make sense to me, and I'm going to return this to, hey, you can still have fun. What makes too much sense to me is this. Congratulations, Wake Forest. You just beat Duke. We're setting the timer on the floor. As soon as that buzzer sounds, the next buzzer sounds, you're able to go out on the floor. Absolutely. Let's do that. You get a one-minute timer, a 90-second timer. The coaches and the assistants and the players and the medical staff can get off the floor for the team that doesn't want to be yelled at and poked and prodded and teased and taunted. That makes so much more sense to me than what we're doing and how it's currently constructed. So how about we have that happy medium of a timer that says, hey, this is the grace period to let these competitors that were part of the game and just as much part of the entertainment as your team to get off the floor without incident. Because sooner than later, we could have 10 events in a row where this goes off without a hitch and it's great and everybody has fun and nobody's feelings are ridiculously hurt. But sooner than later, something way worse than what we saw this weekend and something way worse than we saw in Columbus with Caitlin Clark will happen. A significant injury, a fight, a multitude of fights, a skirmish, whatever you want to call it, it's not going to get any prettier on a consistent basis. And I think relative to what Jay Billis said, which he suggested maybe going ahead and locking everybody on the court after they storm the court and saying, okay, we're going to arrest every single one of you or cite every single one of you, paraphrasing there on Jay Billis's comments, but you can look that up. But again, I don't think we need to do that, and I don't think we need to suck all of the fun out of court storming in college athletics. But I, what I do think needs to happen is to respect the opponent, show some sportsmanship, show some care, and show some concern for the safety of your opponent. They came and battled. They earned the right to be there just as you did. They earned the safety of the floor. They earned the safety of the sport as your team does as well. Let them exit the floor and then have your party. Do a PA announcement. Do a PA press conference out there with everybody on the floor. Doll it up however you want. But don't bring the safety of the opposing athletes into question. And to echo Greeny, for those of you out there that think that Filipowski somehow deserved what he got. Or Caitlin Clark flopped when she was contacted by the uh, selfie-induced individual back in Columbus. Not only are you wrong, but I can't take you seriously if you've got that take today following the court storming.
thing. So no, I'm not against getting rid of court storming entirely. My only caveat here and my only rule that I would suggest is, hey, how about a common sense timer Maybe 90 seconds, 60 seconds. Hey, coach, thanks so much. Best of luck the rest of the way. We're heading to the locker room to avoid this mess. Celebrate it. You deserve it. Have some fun. Boom. Duke into the locker room. Winston-Salem erupts. Wake Forest, memorable day for their fans and everybody associated with the program. And they wouldn't have the sour taste in their mouth today. And they wouldn't have the sour taste of knowing that they contacted another player. And this is all under scrutiny. This could all so easily be avoided. And it can be avoided without getting rid of court storming in its entirety. End of speech. Now on to your Reliabank headlines of the day here for hour number two. The Augustana baseball team dropped a Sunday contest to Regis 14-4, and they officially split their opening series with the Rangers. The Vikings moved to 2-2 two two overall. Regis, with the win yesterday, boosted their record to 8-7-1. Next up for Augustana, they travel to St. Joseph, Missouri, for a Tuesday afternoon game against Missouri Western. First pitch for that one is slated for 3 p.m. South Dakota State received pins from Tanner Cook and Bennett Berge as part of a seven-match winning streak to send its senior class and Frost Arena off in style with a 34-6 wrestling duel win over North Dakota State. In retaining the Border Bell Traveling Trophy, the 11th-ranked Jackrabbits closed out the dual portion of their schedule with a 13-4 overall record. Up next for the Jackrabbit wrestling team, postseason competition begins with the Big 12 Wrestling Championship coming up in a couple weeks from Tulsa, Oklahoma. More information there, gojacks.com. The Augustana softball team had a shutout kind of day yesterday as the Vikings won by scores of 4 to nothing and 3 to nothing. 4 nothing win came over Northwest Missouri State and the 3 nothing win against the host Washburn down at the Washburn Invitational. Up next, Augie will play traditional doubleheaders on Sunday, March 10th and Monday, March 11th as the Vikings travel to Springfield, Missouri to face Drury. As part of that same trip, Augie will face Missouri Western on March 12th and Missouri Southern on March the 14th. Not a whole lot of news from the National Football League to get to today, but we do have a franchise tag application. To recap today, the Cincinnati Bengals have placed the franchise tag on wide receiver T. Higgins. A source told ESPN today the deadline for teams to use the franchise tag is approaching on March the 5th. In January, quarterback Joe Burrow said he expected his star wide receiver to be back and pair with Jamar Chase for the near-term future. Chase and Higgins, one of the top wide receiver duos in the league, and it looks like they're staying pat right there, at least for a season together, down in Cincinnati. As for matches made not in heaven, after what he did, after as he did after he was benched this past season, Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson said he still hopes he can finish his career in Denver, but added in a podcast appearance yesterday, you also wanted to be in a place that wants you too. I've got more fire than ever, honestly, especially after the past two years of what I've gone through, whether it's in Denver or somewhere else. I hope it's in Denver. I hope to get to finish there. I committed there. I wanted to be there. I want to be there. Asked where he would play in 2024 if it's not Denver. Wilson responded, honestly, I haven't thought about it. Marshall then read to Wilson the odds of him playing for a variety of teams next season. And the quarterback responded, well, I'm going to put Denver one because I'm there right now. But I think you have the ability to compartmentalize that. Listen, it's a business and you got to be non-emotional about it. And no matter what you control and what you can control, if it's not Denver, though, I'd love to go to a place where we can win again. 
Russell Wilson was everything class yesterday in this appearance. By the way, the I Am Athlete podcast with Brandon Marshall, former Denver Broncos wide receiver. I was impressed with what Wilson had to say, and I was impressed at the way he handled all of the criticism throughout the season. Had a pretty decent year, not electrifying by any means, for Russell Wilson over the past two years. Not only did it end a five-year streak of going to the Pro Bowl, but in two years with the Denver Broncos, 11-19 and is his record, 6,500 passing yards, 42 touchdowns to 19 interceptions, quarterback rating at 91. The 10 years prior in Seattle, definitely some peaks and valleys there, but more years than not double-digit wins. Russell Wilson was 104-53-1, nearly double the amount of wins than losses, 37,000 passing yards, 292 touchdowns to 87 picks, and a quarterback rating of nearly 102. So regression is a thing for Russell Wilson, but one other thing to consider. You change towns, you change coaching staff, you change the friendly confines that you're used to. It takes some time to get things together. And not only does it take time to get things together, if you have a good coach in place, you got good coordinators, you got good players around you, Denver does not and has not had that under Russell Wilson's tenure here. It was Nathaniel Hackett and the absolute clown show that we saw in 2022. And then we're seeing Sean Payton in there. Heck of a football coach, but he needs some time to get things rolling. I firmly believe the Broncos will have a different starting quarterback come week one. Russell Wilson will be on the move. There are five or six places that I think he can go start right now in the National Football League. And hopefully that team can squeeze the last juice out of a future Hall of Fame worthy career. Whether or not he gets in is remains to be seen. But a nine-time Pro Bowler and a Super Bowl champion, Russell Wilson, more than likely out of Denver in due time after a tremendous start of his career where he uh, followed up as a Offensive Rookie of the Year, Player of the Year, kind of near finalist for both of those awards throughout the first two years, and also won a Super Bowl very early in his young career, went to another the following season, and ended up on the one-yard line and didn't hand the football off to Marshawn Lynch. The rest is history for the career of Russell Wilson. Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr, an architect of the four franchise championships, has agreed to a two-year, $35 million contract extension that'll make him the highest-paid coach in league history. According to agents Rick Smith and Dan Eveloff of Priority Sports, told ESPN on Friday, Kerr's deal was set to expire at the end of the season, and his $17.5 million per season extension takes him through 2025 and 2026. Lastly here, in case you missed it over the weekend, Cody Bellinger has a home, and he returns home to the Chicago Cubs. A deal three years and $80 million was struck over the weekend, ending a prolonged free agency with a return engagement after his excellent 2023 season in Chicago. 28-year-old has opt-outs after the first and second years of the deal, and he'll receive a $30 million salary this year, $30 million in 2025 if he doesn't opt out, and $20 million in 2026, according to two sources. Those are your Live Bank headlines of the day. When we come back, it's quick chat on the Packers and Chiefs and free agency. We'll also get you a look at the NSIC tournament brackets, which are set as of yesterday. We'll dive into that all coming up next on Overtime. Stream us online. Stream us on the app. Streaming now. Overtime with Burt Ramin on ESPN 102.3 and AM 1000 KSOO. Sioux Falls Sports Leader. 
Right back with you on this Monday edition of Overtime. Appreciate you tuning us in as always right here on ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO. We're going to go ahead and stash the Green Bay Packers and Kansas City Chiefs free agent talk until tomorrow on the show. Be sure to tune in then. We'll talk about the free agent priorities of both teams. We're a little short on time. We'll be talking with uh, play-by-play broadcaster Tyler Merriam, South Dakota State football and men's basketball here in just a moment. But I wanted to give an opportunity out there for people to call in and acquire some NSIC tournament tickets. I got some to give away for Saturday, March the 2nd. You can go to the morning session or you can go to the afternoon session. The morning session on that day is for the men. Afternoon session, 4.30 and 7 o'clock start time are for the women's bracket. Here's what the brackets look like before we do this giveaway. Minnesota State Mankato is the top team on the women's side. They'll match up with the winner of Moorhead and Winona State in their first matchup. Northern State is the four seed. Other side of that bracket, they'll see the winner of Southwest Minnesota State and Augustana. Augie will have to go to the road to Marshall on a Wednesday night, 7.30 the start time for their opener of the tournament. And then if they win, they get a trip to the Sanford Pentagon to face off with Northern State. On the other side of the bracket, the two seed is Umary, the three seed is CSP, and the teams in the play-in, Sioux Falls travels to Duluth on Wednesday, 6 o'clock start time against the Bulldogs for the right to play CSP, and St. Cloud State and Minot State from St. Cloud on Wednesday, 6 o'clock the start time. Winner of that one moves on to face Umary. That's the women's side. As for the men's side of the bracket, your top seed, Minnesota State Mankato. Two seed is Duluth. Three seed, Moorhead. Four seed is Minot State. Play-in games coming your way on Wednesday from the Stewart Center here in Sioux Falls. USF plays host to Bemidji State. Winner of that one faces off with the top seed, Minnesota State Mankato. Elsewhere in that same side of the bracket, it's Southwest Minnesota State facing off at home against St. Cloud State in Marshall. Winner of that goes on to face Minot State. And on the other side of the bracket, Northern State is... It travels to Winona, Minnesota to take on Winona State Wednesday at 6 o'clock. Winner of that one faces Moorhead. And Augustana plays host to 10th-seeded Wayne State. 7th-rated Vikings, 6 o'clock jump time Wednesday night. If they win that one, they will see Duluth coming up on Saturday at 1.30. If you want to see the Augustana men, I got one pair of tickets remaining for that. I have, uh, let's count here real quick with you on the air. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight total tickets. I can give away two packs or four packs for the women's first round matchups from the Pentagon Saturday. 4.30 and 7 o'clock for the women that session. And for the men, 11 o'clock and 1.30 for Saturday from the Pentagon. If you'd like to go, dial us up right now. 605-362-3776. 605-362-3776. We take the break back talking Jackrabbit Hoops with play-by-play broadcaster Tyler Merriam next on Overtime. is a moment of pro sports action. Stay connected and download the app for overtime on ESPN 102.3 and AM 1000 KSOO. Midway through hour number two on your Monday. Appreciate you tuning us in as always here on ESPN Sioux Falls. It's time now to talk some Jackrabbit men's basketball as we get you geared up for the final few games in Summit League regular season play. We'll be seeing the Summit League tournament here at the Premier Center before too long. Here to talk Jackrabbit basketball and much more is play-by-play broadcaster Tyler Merriam. Tyler, always appreciate the time. How you been? 
Doing well, Bert. How are you? It's I'm doing well. I'm hanging in there, man. It's been a uh, court-storming debate kind of day here on the show, and we're excited to talk to you about basketball. But first things first, man, I wanted to pick your brain about a little football, and we'll talk uh, Isaiah Davis, Garrett Greenfield, and Mason McCormick. Those three guys have the, uh, the opportunity, the invite to go to the Combine this week. That's pretty darn special. What stands out to you about the players and the people that uh, that are heading out to Indianapolis? Well, those three are certainly special, special young men. You know, when you talk about a guy like Mason McCormick, who's been a fixture at left guard for SDSU for so many years, it's just going to be different not seeing him out there for SDSU in the future. He packs such a punch, the Sioux Falls native, and he's been a rock on that O-line. I think he's the one that I'm really excited about. He continues to impress. The frame of Garrett Greenfield is certainly one that stands out. Greenfield's more unassuming where McCormick really has that chip on his shoulder, and I think that's what makes him stand out a little bit. And then Isaiah Davis is one of the best running backs at any level of college football over the past couple of years. Incredibly special, very diligent in his work ethic and wants to be a better person and wants to continue to grow in so many ways. So for those three to have an opportunity at the combine is a tremendous accomplishment for each of them. And and I think all three have a legitimate shot of being drafted. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And I, being a small school grad myself and relative small school, of course, not talking about that in South Dakota, but from a national perspective, South Dakota State still a small school nationally. Being a small school grad myself, I remember at App State when I was there, when one person will get drafted in a year, it was amazing. And now it feels like there's two or three or four guys drafted each year, and you can see that growth up in Brookings as well. I feel like that's a sign of things to come and just a, a overall kind of uh, success, uh, kind of result of the success up there in Brookings. What do you think about that as far as the number of guys that uh, appear to be at least getting the opportunity or drafted into the NFL? I don't think there's any question that the numbers continue to grow and that every year you're seeing more and more jackrabbits in the NFL. Some of them are drafted. Some of them are guys like a Chris Oladokun who was on the Kansas City Chiefs practice squad for the Super Bowl run. So to see more and more jacks reach that level, it's a great reminder in the recruiting process, too, that you don't have to go to the SEC to get noticed by the National Football League. If you put the time in and you're good enough, uh, those scouts will find you. South Dakota State Jackrabbit football, back-to-back national champions. We're talking with play-by-play broadcaster Tyler Merriam. And I honestly believe that Mason McCormick has started a trend on social media, and I'm here for it because that dude uh, either put out or had somebody put out that hype tape for him as an offensive lineman highlights. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Highlights <laughs> in a montage with music to boot for an offensive lineman. But I'm here for it. That was an awesome 90 seconds or so from McCormick. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the basketball team right now, 17-12, and 12. 10 and 4 within the conference appear to be playing really good basketball. We saw Mimsy, we saw Mayo, we've seen Mayo throughout the year be one of the leading scorers. What do you think about the the recent stretch, three straight wins and five wins of the last six for the Jacks? Well, they certainly are ranging in the right direction. I don't want to say peaking at the right time, yep. but I don't think they've peaked. They've been a streaky team all year long and they've been streaky during this run. The The wins in each of the last three contests have been streaky. Now, the Denver game on Thursday is probably about as complete a game as they've played, but they were certainly streaky at Omaha, had to rally late and win in overtime, and they're down nine in the second half against St. Thomas, and they put together a streak and were able to overcome it. They're a dangerous team. There's no question about that. They're one of, if not the best in this league, but they're susceptible to streaks, and kind of the way the season's gone for this team is – can they have one more streak than their opposition? They kind of just have ebbed and flowed all year. 
When they put it all together, they're very dangerous. It's just a matter of can they do it, and it's going to be hard to do that three times in a four-day stretch in Sioux Falls. So you've got to find a way to win when you don't play your best basketball. That's what's exciting about the year coming up, and you rattled off some of the names, you know, Mims and Mayo, certainly what Charlie Easley's done. I mean, it's a battle-tested team. They've been through it. Those guys all were a part of that undefeated team a couple of years ago in the Summit League, so they know what it's like when it comes down to March. Remainder of the schedule for SDSU men's basketball up in Grand Forks against North Dakota and then at North Dakota State, the remaining contests. Uh, we'll talk about the challenge of those two games in a moment. But, Tyler, from your perspective, you got a different perspective than the players and the coaches. You get to call all the action. You get to see all the stats on in real time and see all the stats that you prepare for your spotting charts before the game. i got to ask you this question. Honestly, what's the best team that you've seen SDSU play this year in the Summit League? Oh, boy, that is a good question. Um, a lot you could choose you know, from. Well, and, and North Dakota, the Jacks saw very early in the year, and UND was not in a very good spot. The Jacks handled them so easily. UND started 0-3, remember, and now here they are one game back at SDSU, and the Jacks will see them on Thursday. So in person, the one UND game I saw, the Fighting Hawks were not very impressive, but they've been as good as almost anybody. Um, I, I tell you what, I, I do think St. Thomas is a dangerous team, even though the Jacks have, have beaten them twice. And North Dakota State is a team that David Richmond just has that history, and they tend to play better as the year goes along. They're coming together. I think the win they had here in Brookings a few weeks ago really helped turn things in the right direction. They've been really good. I think you'd have to put the buys under the top of that list as well. South Dakota State play-by-play broadcaster Tyler Merriam, our guest here on hour number two, Monday edition of Overtime. I've got to ask you about the Summit League tournament because obviously it's a great venue, great basketball, and some people will say that the men are down this year, and you could look at it any which way you want and say, man, it's just more competitive, maybe the teams aren't as good, but when it comes to the teams that go on runs and win the thing here in Sioux Falls, what are a few of the common denominators for those teams? Is it depth? Is it age? Is it experience? All of the above. What do you think for the teams that uh, get to write their name and carve their name in stone at the end of the week in Sioux Falls? What do you think makes them so consistent and so good, regardless of what school they're from? Well, I think the biggest thing is is that you've got to be able to be more than one-dimensional. Because to win three games in four days, as I kind of alluded to earlier, you can't just sit out there and jack up a bunch of threes. The odds of you shooting 50-plus percent from three three times in four days, it's just hard to do that. And so you've got to be able to do other things. And typically you're going to have at least one night of those three that you're going to play a little subpar offensively. So you've got to be tough-minded. You've got to be able to defend. And year in, year out, one of the two best defensive teams statistically in the league has been the team that has typically won the Summit League tournament. You don't have one of these teams that's great on offense and bad on defense that goes on a run because it's just hard to do that. So you have to be able to get stops. If you can get stops and you've got more than one offensive weapon, you feel like you're in a pretty good spot. This Jackrabbit team has played much better defensively as of late, was very good defensively really in both the games this past weekend, and then feel like you've got a lot of balance when you have somebody like Charlie Easley. Mims is such a good shooter, had a career high on Thursday. Apple can really be a force inside. William Kyle III is going to get votes for all-conference. 
And then obviously Zeke Mayo is the guy that uh, is typically the first name that's rattled off, but I left him last out of the starting five intentionally. There's a Jackrabbit team that has a lot of weapons on offense, and they're playing really well defensively. And that's what it will take. It doesn't mean it's going to happen for them, but that to me is the recipe for success. You have to be able to get stops consistently, and you have to be versatile on offense. And this Jackrabbit team certainly is both of those. Remainder of the games for the regular season for SDSU. Pretty important matchups at UND on Thursday at North Dakota State coming up on Saturday. As far as those games go, obviously they're going to tell a lot about how the uh, seeding plays out for the Summit League tournament. But what are a big, a couple key, uh, big keys to those games against the Fighting Hawks and the Bison to round out the regular season? Well, certainly first things first on Thursday. If the Jacks beat UND, they wrap everything up. They're the number one seed and regular season champs, so it's a huge game in Grand Forks. I think, again, for SDSU, it's trying to be consistent, and that's been a search all year long. They've had a couple of games they've been fairly consistent and not played more in these spurts we've talked about. They've gotten off to great starts in all three of the games recently, and in two of those three games, they lost the lead, and then the third, Denver cut it to to seven a couple of times after they were up as much as 20. So it's trying to be consistent. They're going to need to be able to do that. The other thing uh, is forcing both North Dakota and North Dakota State to other offensive options. B.J. Omot's been so good lately for UND. For NDSU, Andrew Morgan was just an animal again on Saturday for the Bison in their win over UND. So you've got to be able to force them to – deeper into the offense than just their first option, which goes back to how well the Jacks have played team defense lately. So if they can minimize their streaks and be more consistent and really make teams work uh, for their possessions on offense, feel like the Jacks will have a realistic shot to get one win. And if they can get one, they'll be the number one seed. Jackrabbits are 17 and 12, 10 and 4 within the conference. And again, those games coming up Thursday and Saturday, Thursday, 7 p.m., Saturday, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, North Dakota and North Dakota State, respectively. That's South Dakota State play-by-play broadcaster Tyler Merriam. Tyler, it's always a blast. I hope to bump into you in a couple weeks here in Sioux Falls. Until that time, hopefully go get a couple wins here and we'll finish this thing outright. Thanks for the time today. No, thanks, Bert. Take care. All right. Tyler Merriam, South Dakota State play-by-play broadcaster, our guest. You can check him out on Twitter at any time, at Tyler Merriam. Always top-notch play-by-play coverage on the radio for Jackrabbit Athletics, whether it's a touchdown Jackrabbits on the football field or a big three from downtown for the Jackrabbit men's basketball team. Tyler Merriam, always great on the call on the Jackrabbit Sports Network. That'll do it for that interview. When we come back, it's time to put the icing on the cake, round out the show and hit the door it's the good the bad and the ugly coming up next on overtime Sports on the go. Download the free app now. This is ESPN 102.3 and AM 1000 KSOO, Sioux Falls Sports Leader. Right back with you. It's the Monday edition of Overtime. Back to wrap things up. It is an extended edition of the good, the bad, the ugly. I got three good stories today. Few bad and just one ugly, I believe. Let's get to it. It's the good, the bad, the ugly on your Monday. 
many days there are those who can be called a problem child. You know the ones. They have a tendency to display an ugly side. They have their whining moments. Some display an outright bad side of themselves. And then there are those who stand out in a good way. Well, here they are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Just said moments ago, I got a lot of good news to get to. First things first, Shohei Otani will make his L.A. Dodgers spring training debut tomorrow against the Chicago White Sox, who share the facility at Camelback Ranch out in Glendale, Arizona. Otani will be the DH as he plays in a game for the first time since signing his 10-year, $700 million deal in the offseason. It will also mark Otani's first game action since undergoing reconstructive elbow surgery in September. While the or while with the Angels, he tore the UCL in his right elbow back in late August, ending his season as a pitcher. He continued as a batter through September 3rd until he suffered an oblique strain. Otani will not pitch during the upcoming season. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts observed Otani closely Sunday as he faced live pitching. He took three at-bats and he looked good. I thought today was a good day for Shohei. Dodgers fans hoping for many more good days ahead. And it'll begin tomorrow with a spring training debut for the Phenom out in Arizona. Now on to some hockey news. Nikita Kucherov had a goal and three assists and became the first player in the league to reach 100 points this season in leading the Lightning to a much-needed win over the Devils on Sunday. Kucherov leads the NHL with 102 points, reached 100 points in just 59 games, the fewest to do so in team history. Lightning coach John Cooper said he's a special, special player, and it was never more evident than tonight. It was fun to watch. Not only is Kucherov having a big season, we got all sorts of phenoms out there. Austin Matthews authoring a great year as well. Fun year so far across the NHL. Other good news, somebody is wanting to return to normalcy in Philadelphia. This wild offseason for the Philadelphia Eagles continues, but A.J. Brown is shutting some stuff down as of today. The Eagles wide receiver called into a sports radio show last week to address rumors about his future with the team. I have no problem. I want to be here. It's as simple as that. I love where I'm at. It's as simple as that. Next question. He also called rumors of friction between himself and quarterback Jalen Hurts total BS. And I'm not going to get into me and his relationship on the air, but it's total BS. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't a problem when I was on my six-game streak. They weren't talking about it then, so they only started talking about it when we started losing. Of course, you see friction from everybody, from the coaches, the players, and from everyone. So there you go. Brown was referring to his streak of 125-plus receiving yards in six straight games, which was an NFL record. The Eagles started the season 10-1, and but collapsed down the stretch, losing six of their final seven and were a first-round exit of the NFL playoffs with a loss to Tampa Bay. On to the bad, more NFL news. Former NFL star Richard Sherman was arrested early Saturday on suspicion of driving under the influence, according to the Washington State Patrol. Improbable cause statement, Trooper Jordan Hazard Thomas, who helped respond to the traffic spot, reported talking to Sherman and noticing the odor of intoxicants and that Sherman's eyes appeared to be bloodshot and watery. Emails seeking comment on Sherman's arrest were sent on Saturday to a representative listed on his social media sites and to an attorney who is representing 
represented him in the past. The King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office said in a statement that Sherman was expected to have a court hearing today. Three-time All-Pro, all-time great in the NFL, had an 11-year career and helped lead the Seahawks to a Super Bowl title following the 2013 season. Now on to the bad and on to the ugly. It's pretty tough to pass this news along today. Pro Football Talk at NBCSports.com with a great tribute to Peter King. Peter King, longtime sports writer, has called it a career, retiring today. It's weird to type those words, says Mike Florio on on, uh, Pro Football Talk at NBCSports.com. The man who's been at the center of the NFL universe for decades is stepping aside. Peter announced his decision and detailed it in his Monday Football Morning in America column. I'll defer to his explanation, Florio says, and I'll add this. He's been a great friend and a mentor Being a kid in this generation from the 90s to the 2000s to the 2010s to the early 2022s or 2020s rather, uh, you can't help but know who Peter King is and notice the impact he's had on journalism in the NFL. I grew up reading his stuff. I grew up seeing his stuff in Sports Illustrated and elsewhere. Peter King, fantastic career. Thanks for all you've done for football fans and fandom and coverage Definitely a trailblazer, definitely somebody that will be missed immediately. Peter King calling it a career as of this week's newsletter. And now on to the ugly. If you didn't see it, you're going to see it here today. Video has emerged on Sunday that appears to show 2015 NFL MVP Cam Newton involved in a scuffle at a 7-on-7 youth football tournament in his hometown of Atlanta. It seems to show Newton wearing one of his custom-made hats being shoved by three people near the top of a set of steps before the pushing, shoving, and grabbing moves toward a fence line. The video lasts 30 seconds before the altercation is broken up by a police officer and event security personnel at the We Will Ball Dynasty U 7-on-7 tournament at the Best Academy. Newton, the number one pick of the 2011 NFL draft out of Auburn, does not appear to throw any punches in the video. Kudos to him for keeping his cool and seems to be fending off three other people. There is one punch thrown in Newton's direction, but it is unclear if it landed on the former quarterback. It also is uncertain what prompted the altercation. I'm sure we'll get more information out of this moving forward, but kudos to Cam Newton for handling that situation the best as he possibly could. Certainly tried to finish the fight, was not throwing punches. It could have been way worse, but Cam Newton involved in a scuffle at the 7-on-7 tournament. I'm sure we'll get some more details in the coming days. That's the good, the bad, the ugly, and that is our show for a Monday. Always appreciate you tuning us in. If you'd like to go to the NSIC tournament, I still got women's tickets available for their first session from the Pentagon. Dial me up right now, 605-362-3776, and I'll aim to get you hooked up with some tickets to the upcoming Northern Sun men's and women's basketball tournaments here in Sioux Falls. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Until then, 11 to 1 tomorrow with overtime. Thanks for listening and being along for the ride. We'll talk to you then on ESPN 102. Point three AM one thousand KSOO.